0: Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Talking Tudors. I'm your host, Natalie Grunigal. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always, I'd like to start by acknowledging and thanking the wonderful listeners who continue to support my podcast on Patreon and extend a heartfelt thank you to everyone who's taken the time to rate and review the show. This really does make a difference. If you love the podcast and you never miss an episode, I invite you to join the Talking Tudors patron family. Visit patreon.com slash talkingtudors for more information. Join the Talking Tudors patron family and in addition to receiving lots of Tudor-themed goodies, you'll have access to patron-only monthly giveaways. February's prize is a copy of The Queen's Frog Prince, The Courtship of Elizabeth I and the Duke of Anjou by David Lee. Thank you so much to the author for sponsoring this wonderful prize. You can also support the podcast and share your love of Tudor history with the world by buying Talking Tudors merchandise. There are a number of designs and products available, including phone cases, mugs, notebooks and apparel. Check out all the products at talkingtudors.threadless.com. I would love to see pics of you wearing or using your Talking Tudors merch, so please do tag me on social media and use the hashtag #ILoveTalkingTudors. Now on to today's episode, I'm excited that joining me on the show to talk about the Berlin's, from the Tudors to the Windsors is Amanda Harvey Peirce. Amanda is a fellow of the Royal Historical Society and has studied the Tudor era at the Universities of Roehampton and Glasgow. She's worked for many London-based museums and has written for History Hit, the Charles Dickens Society, the Anne Berlin Files, Historic Houses, the Whitechapel Society Journal and many more. The Boleyns from the Tudors to the Windsors is Amanda's first book surrounding the era of the Tudors and takes a unique view of the Boleyn family narrative, of which Queen Consort Anne Boleyn was a member, of course, and has included also some new research. Our conversation's coming up straight after this short musical break, courtesy of guitarist John Sayles. <laughs> Welcome to Talking Tutors, Amanda. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. I'm excited for our conversation about the Berlins, as always. <laughs> um, yeah. So let's start with you just introducing yourself to our listeners and just telling us a little bit about you and your background.
1: Right, okay. Well, first of all, can I say thank you very much for having me. Cool. Uh, it is an honour to speak about my book on your podcast. First of all, my name is Amanda Harvey-Purse. I am a Fellow of the Royal Historical Society. I have studied the Tudors in various different forms, in various different ways, and on various different university courses. Um, I have worked with many London-based museums. I have been a researcher for many historical TV programmes. I have written for History Hit, The Charles Dickens Society, The Amberlin Files, Historic Houses, The Whitechapel Society, and many more. I have written many books previously on the Jack the Ripper case of 1888, covering the lives involved within it, including the lives of the ladies that sadly passed away by the unknown hands of this killer, the policemen, the doctors, the witnesses, even the lives of the photographers who took the well-known mortuary photographs attached to this horrid crime. Through this, I've been able to work with many societies to help remember these important lives of the people that passed away, including a plaque for Catherine Eddowes, a suggested victim of Jack the Ripper, that is in the City of London today. I have worked with trying to get a headstone for Inspector Edmund Reed, the inspiration behind the TV show Ripper Street in Herne Bay in Kent. The Berlin's from the Tudors to the Windsors is my first book surrounding the era of the Tudors and takes a unique view of the Berlin family narrative, of which quite famously, Queen Consort and Berlin was a member of, with brand new
0: research. Fantastic. So exciting. Have you always been a fan of the Berlins or what inspired this work? Well, what starts it off? I have this little list.
1: this ever-growing list of people from the past that I find so interesting that I just have to write a book about them. What normally happens is I find this little nugget of information about them and my brain goes, ooh, that's interesting. And my brain continues to say that until I write a book about them. Not trying to give my age away here, but Mary Boleyn has been on this list for well over twenty years. And yes, I know I could have written a book purely on Mary and perhaps Mary and her sister Anne. But I wanted to do something more for Mary. Um so I chose to write about one of the reasons why I feel she is so special. Um she's special within her own person, she's special within the Berlin family unit, but she's also special in her standing in history, without her, famous people wouldn't have come to be. And maybe we could take this idea a little bit further and think, well, if those historical people didn't assist, would historical offence have happened? Uh, the Knowles and her son is an ideal sample with that. Um, so this is really the idea behind the book. It's a conversation piece. Hopefully it gets get us all talking about Mary Boleyn, uh, that perhaps she wasn't the quiet, weak, meek link of the Boleyn family that is so often betrayed for her. Perhaps she was more than a mistress to kings, and perhaps she was more than a comparison to her sister Anne. At a time when we can question history, how we've been taught history, maybe it's time to have a conversation about Mary Boleyn about the person she was and who we may have missed out on getting to know.
0: Well, that's what I'm hoping for anyway. So you've obviously done a lot of research in order to complete this book. So when do the Berlins first pop up in the records or as far as you know?
1: Well, uh, quite interesting. Although the title of my book is The Berlins from the Tudors to the Windsors, my book starts in the 1200s uh, where they're first recorded. This is with John Berlin and he's recorded in the Walsenham Abbey records. This brings us to the village of Sal in Norfolk, uh, where the Berlins are essentially farms. Uh, but they're quite interesting farmers, even back then. By the 14th century, they were gaining wealth, but they didn't always pay their debts back. They were taken to court quite a few times for theft. Um... And they were even taken to court for prowling over the lines of their lands to make the lands look bigger. But with each generation marrying well, by the 15th century, more fortune and importance in Norfolk beckoned. Hence, for example, why they're quite well remembered in the local church of Sale. Uh, They became lords of a manor. They bought Brixton, the suggested birthplace of Mary, George and Anne. They gained connections with Cambridge University. They became MPs. They were even able at one point to lend King Henry VI money to fund his wars with France. Then roles like the Knight of the Garter, Mayors of London and Chancellors followed, which of course led the way for the famous Tudor buildings we know so well.
0: Absolutely. They sound like an interesting lot, even from early on. That's fantastic. (laughs) And so in terms, let's talk a little bit more about the 14th and 15th century members of the Berlin family. Could you tell us about any individual person, please?
1: Um, Of course we do have Thomas Boleyn, the uh, famous father of Mary, George and Anne Uh, His role within his children's lives is extremely important. It was him that controlled their education forming the people they would become Um, It's suggested that his children looked up to him. In fact I do find it interesting that it's purported that when Anne is taken to the Tower, as you well know as a prisoner and she suddenly realises where she is and what her outcome could be. She asks Mr. Kingston I pray you tell me where my lord my father is In this sudden moment, when it's possible that Anne may not know what to do next for the briefest of moments, she asks for her dad. I feel there is an importance in this moment, both for Anne and how she thought about her father. But of course, Thomas is only one half of the parents of Mary, George and Anne. I feel we can't forget Elizabeth Howard Boleyn, the mother. Uh, Elizabeth came from a powerful Howard family, a family closely aligned with royalty itself, with John Howard fighting at the Battle of Torton, being at the coronation of King Edward the Fourth, being treated well by that king and his queen by giving seven yards of green velvet and then making him a lord. Uh, Elizabeth's father was the second duke of Norfolk. He later becomes the Earl of Surrey. He too fought with King Edward IV at the Battle of Barnet, which restored the king back to the throne. Uh, Elizabeth herself had good education. She could certainly speak French, something that may have stood her out with Thomas as he could speak languages as well. Uh, so this is a woman of good standing, of good background of good education so we can imagine her presence within her children's lives is felt too especially if we take into consideration Anne Berlin names her child
0: elizabeth fabulous yes those conversations in in the tower that anne had always moved for me because of course yes she asked for her father and also wondered how her mother would cope with it all just showing i think that they were a very close-knit family yeah. and did operate as a team the Berlin's. that's always the sense i get especially anne and george of course yeah Two peas in a pod, those two. (laughs) Um, So I know you moved on and looked at some of the 16th century members of the Boleyns, apart from just the Boleyn family as well that we know, the more famous ones. So do you want to tell us about some of those that you feature in your book?
1: One of the um, ladies in the book that takes up quite a chunk of the book because of her importance is uh, Mary's granddaughter, Latisse Knowles. Uh, she's often described almost as a third will in the love relationship between Queen Elizabeth I and her favourite Robert Dudley but I'm not sure if that's a true description looking at this relationship from Latisse's point of view I'm not sure she would have seen herself truly as the third will. The fact that both Latisse and Robert must have had some idea of the trouble they would have been in, one by marrying without permission and two for R- Robert to have married at all and yet they still do it. Latisse is not just Robert's mistress, but he chose her to be his wife. Um, It does seem to suggest that they may have been in love with each other to have risked so much. Then we have their married life. Latisse, although away from court, lived as Robert's wife in Robert's homes, such as Leicester House in London, where she gave birth to Robert's son, and where he made sure that she had the best doctors to help her. She lives in the luxury Robert's career could offer the couple, with having over 150 members of staff. When their son passes away on the 19th of July, 1584, uh, the 41st anniversary of Mary Boleyn's own death, Robert's courtier mask drops. He leaves none such without permission without turn the queen and rushes to be beside his wife it's often said that in times of crisis the true nature of a person is revealed uh, this act in the way it's done could suggest the true love robert had for his wife he even gets angry with people at court especially with the queen for showing him kindness after the death of his son but only william cecil shown kindness to lettuce as robert likes to cecil thanking him for his kindness uh, upon robert's death he gives the Queen a set of pearls, ones that are purported to be seen wearing by Queen Elizabeth in her famous Amada portrait. But for Lestice, he makes her a wealthy widow. He describes her as the most dear, beloved wife. It is interested in this purported great love triangle. It is the Teeth that is buried with Robert, and Queen Elizabeth got buried with her sister instead. Uh, with the words of the Teeth that she was buried with uh, written by the husband of Latisse's granddaughter in her youth that has been darling to the maiden queen till she was content to quit her favour for her favourite meaning in her ears I can't help but wonder if Robert's love for the queen wasn't always completely true and whether at the point of marrying Latisse real love that there had been for the queen changed for an act of true true, courtly love instead
0: and, you know, normally when we think of the Berlins, we kind of it ends in the 16th century. But, of course, you've gone a little bit further in your book. So tell us about the later history of the Berlin family. What other descendants did you research and write about?
1: Well, one of the real treats for me um, was actually writing about Richard Boyle, uh, the famous architect, Uh, This was a real treat for two reasons. Firstly, uh, Richard had visited Venice in Italy, and I'm always amazed when researching anyone who has visited Venice how much that city changes them. I really want to go. It's fantastic, (laughs) by the way. I was
0: just there, and I can highly (laughs) recommend (laughs) it.
1: Oh, uh, I'm very jealous. For example, when Princess Louise, Queen Victoria's daughter, visited there, it seemed to renew her spirit, and the artwork she made there is truly beautiful. I would suggest that if anyone gets the chance to visit the Royal Ark at Windsor do not miss Princess Louise's artwork on Venice. However, for Robert, he arrived in Venice. Uh, he has a career all set for him for music. He leaves loving the Palladian style of the architecture of Venice, is famous for, and he be- comes home as an architect. The second reason I uh, find researching Richard Boyle a treat for me is that I love historical buildings. All the history, all the little secret attachments that meant something all those years ago but mean nothing now, so people walk past them, never knowing the secret codes, symbols, riddles that can unlock the past. I love all that. I'm very much a Dan Brown fan, (laughs) Da Vinci Code and everything like that. Uh, So to write of a man that has designed many of the famous buildings we know today, like Chiswick House, Burlington, House and Westminster School was something truly special. Also for me Richard Boyle stands out a little in this book as most of the relations of Mary Boleyn have a connection in some way to royalty to the royal courts even if we travel through the centuries and eras. Richard however is not a courtier he's a musician, and then he's an architect so he shows us the creative side of the Boleyn family instead. Uh, However, if we look closely, we can still find comparisons to his Tudor counterparts. Richard has completed a few commissions before designing Rentsmith's School, but these were within his own family. Now he needed a commission from outside of his family, proper paid work. But instead of starting small and aiming higher, Richard was ambitious. He aimed high straight away. Not only was Rentsmith's School a huge commission to undertake, but he would be running up against well-known architects such as Sir Christopher Wren. Richard was ambitious enough to try and skillful enough to gain what he wanted. For me, that can describe a few Tudor balloons we know so well.
0: Absolutely. And I was just thinking as you were speaking that that interest in music, of course, and that talent in music, of course, runs through the earlier balloons as well. And the love of of building and architecture. Anne was, of course, a huge fan of architecture and and building and inspired Henry's love of building so many different places. So Mm. that's really interesting that it seems to have. On down the line. I love that. Um, so you know what, Amanda, a question I see all the time is, are the Berlin's related to the current royal family? So can you answer that question for us, please?
1: Well, if they weren't, the title of my book wouldn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the interesting aspects for history for me as a historian is how often, like you say, history repeats, and it seems to be so in tune with itself. For example, the normal Berlin family narrative can focus on Anne Berlin for obvious reasons, and because that it can be described as Anne gave the family their biggest rise, but also their biggest failure with the ultimate demise. Uh, But... The Boleyns would have one final hurrah in Queen Elizabeth I, the glorious Gloriana and the Golden Age. However, is that the complete narrative, which is the whole idea of my book. Mary Boleyn literally gives us the same thing. Anne gives us Queen Elizabeth I, Mary gives us Queen Elizabeth II. However, with Anne's Elizabeth. The story ends with her. The Tudor age ends with her, and so really does Anne's story. With Mary's Elizabeth, albeit we have to wait a lot longer for it, it doesn't end with her. Mary's bloodline, Mary's DNA, is in King Charles III in his children in his children's children and in so many different ways as well so with this in mind can we say that the Berlin's final hurrah was with Queen Elizabeth I or can we suggest that it's in fact now in the time that we're living in today and if we can suggest this then this fact doesn't come from man, the star of the family, the person we all expected it would have done. It comes from Mary instead. If this isn't a good example of we should never judge the quiet ones, for they can ultimately surprise us, and so in turn be an inspirational story, I don't know
0: what does. Keeping all that in mind that you've just said, what do you think then are some of the greatest triumphs and tragedy of this extended family?
1: I personally feel after studying this uh, unique side of the Berlin family that the greatest sadness is the young deaths that are dotted along all the way along it. The Berlins we don't know, the Berlins that hadn't formed their own stories yet and made their presence known in history. The young deaths in the Berlin family start from the very beginning and they carry on for the rest of the story. We have the two Berlin boys that could have been brothers to Mary George and Anne Boleyn. We have the countless miscarriages of Anne Boleyn, the possible death of Mary Boleyn's son, the death of the and Robert Dudley, and this goes on. However, I feel the saddest story of all with the young deaths is the story I really struggled to research and write. I'm quite an emotional uh, historian and often put myself in the shoes of the people that I'm researching. Putting myself in the shoes, shoes of Sunita Lambom was really heartbreaking. She marries William Cavendish but he preferred to be known as Charles secretly on the 26th of September 1839 and from the start things do not go well. Sunita is not accepted into Charles's family because she is the daughter of a gypsy and a horse dealer. The fact that this was made clear to her is that they married in secret and that her father had to hide his profession on the wedding certificate. After the wedding, Charles goes back to Oxford to complete his studies, leaving his wife alone in London, living under her maiden name and only occasionally being visited by her husband. Each time this happened, Sunita fell pregnant, gave birth, and sadly lost each child. Her father then becomes ill he gets moved into asylum where he passes away in a building that is now bethnal green library in london when eventually charles's family are told of the marriage the couple is disinherited and they have to find their own way in the world but to fit in with her husband's social circles sunita feels she needs to take a drastic step She uses lead-based makeup, which we now know with hindsight might have harmed her health, as well as the health of the child she was carrying at the time, to make her skin seem whiter in colour. Even in her death, offence do not seem so very sad. Uh, She may not have known she was ill, believing that she may have been pregnant again, as the symptoms are very similar. Sadly, she was not pregnant. She had a blockage in her intestines and would pass away from this. We often talk today of mental illness, and I can't help but wonder if Sanita privately suffered from this too. It's hard to imagine someone going through all what she did in such a short period of time eh, for a person to feel so low about herself without it affecting her in some way so I do believe the sad the great sadness in the Berlin family is the lives cut short never having their own chance to shine in the world but I will leave on a positive uh the greatest triumph for the Berlin family on the other hand I believe is the fact that we're still talking about them today uh, they're still being wrote about and their bloodline still exists when we think of the Tudor Berlins and all the ambitious actions at the time, we may think that if they were watching their descendants now, their bloodline, their DNA is exactly where they would want it to be, on the throne of England. Wow, that is
0: that is a fantastic way to end the main segment of our podcast. And I totally agree with you. I think they, of course, are polarizing and they divide opinion, even still 500 years after. But I think it's wonderful how they draw people from all over the world. I've connected with so many people, you know, with a shared love of the Berlin's and Tudor history. And I think that is Really, one of the triumphs, you're right. But that was a heartbreaking story that you related there, Amanda. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, it was a real struggle to research, but it had to be a story put out there. So,
0: um are you working on any new books at the moment?
1: I'm actually working on three. Wow, three books. <laughs> uh, yes. So I'm very busy and I, I'm constantly writing. And hopefully when it comes nearer the day, I can come back and share all because it's a, a second to the Berlin book. So it has connections to the Berlins. It's about a situation, very famous in the Tudor period that may not have been looked at before in this way. So I, if you have me, I'll be of happy course. to come back. Well, you've
0: piqued my interest now. I, I want to hear more. I can't wait. All right, fantastic. <laughs> now at the end of episodes, when I have my guest's, For the first time, we like to play a little game of 10 to go. So these are just 10 questions just to get to know you a little bit better. Don't worry, nothing's scary. Okay. (laughs) So the first one, (laughs) what's something that you love about where you live?
1: I suppose in a really geeky way, it's all the history. I am surrounded by history. And with the many books that I've written in the past, to find that the people that I write about have connections to where I live. Is a little bit, really? Okay. <laughs> I know that place. <laughs> um. So, yeah, it's all the history.
0: Yeah, you are very lucky. I can definitely say that. <laughs> so what was the last film or, or television series that you watched?
1: I think the last film I watched was Mary Queen of Scots.
0: Oh, yes. Um,
1: uh, with Margot Robbie.
0: Yes, I have seen it. Lovely scenery in that one, actually. <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're obviously very busy. You're writing three books at the same time. <laughs> so what do you do to relax and unwind a little bit?
1: Well, I, I quite famously have three cats that everyone knows about um, and they keep me entertained and they keep me busy and they keep me calm. So I would say my cats.
0: And what about a favourite holiday destination for you?
1: Oh, that, that's easy. <laughs> I really want to go to Venice and France. And if and I can do the two at the same time, that's that'd be ideal.
0: Absolutely, you can. And and I have also been in Florence just recently yeah. and it is actually Fabulous. It, it is great. And make sure you go to the Uffizi Gallery as well while you're there. Fantastic. Yes, <laughs> um, what about, you said you're obviously surrounded by history. What's a favourite historic house or property that you like to visit?
1: I think Dr Owen Emerson would not be happy with me <laughs> if I didn't mention Hever Castle. <laughs> um, wow. Hever Castle has this unique ability, being in the rolling hills of Kent, to be so calm and beautiful even without all the history of um, the Berlin family. So to spend a couple of hours in the gardens and
0: look over the lake, it is very beautiful. I agree with you. It's wonderful. What is an ideal Saturday night for you? What do you like to do?
1: If I say write a book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You can say that if that's your ideal way of spending
1: it. Yeah, Yeah, that
0: would be the ideal. And what about a new skill that you would like to learn?
1: Well, I I suppose in my early childhood I did a lot of music, and I've lost that now. So I would like to go back to that um, and play the piano. And, and what's a favourite genre of music for you? Would you like to listen to? Oh, I I have a good mixture of music. I I do like the cheesy eighties music. The cheesy eighties <laughs> music. Um, so, yeah,
0: I would I would say cheesy 80s music, something to uplift you. And final question for you, what is something you're looking forward to this year?
1: Well, I've just booked my tickets to History Fest with the British Museum. So that's in April and I'm looking forward to it. Um, Lucy Woolsey's talking um, about Agatha Christie. So that's the two of my loves mixed in there so I'm really looking forward to
0: that yeah that sounds wonderful and there is one more question that I ask all my guests and that's for a tutor takeaway so something for our listeners to go off and explore after the episode do you have a takeaway for us
1: Okay, um, well, there's many Tudor takeaways out there.
0: <laughs> there certainly. Um,
1: but I would personally like to say, uh, Tudor Secrets and Myths Facebook page. If you haven't heard of it, it's something I work on, um, and it was set up during the COVID lockdowns um, when we were all feeling a little down. Um, and history has this ability to be positive, so I wanted to share this positive feed in in a way that we can all come together to enjoy history. I have been able to work with some really lovely and wonderful authors, historians in this mission, such as Tracy Borman, Elizabeth Norton, Sarah Criswood, obviously the lovely, lovely Dr. Owen Emerson, um, and even had videos made by the beautiful voice of the Tudorson book and the lovely group Historical Legacies, who dress up as historical characters, at historical places they even have a Mary Boleyn in their cast which I can't explain how much that means to me all these and many many other wonderful people have not just given up their time and their knowledge for this page but they have done it for free so that all the articles videos events prize winning competitions are all free to enter read and write that is the main name of this Facebook page to make this positive subject free and accessible to all that we can all come together to Enjoy the fun, and for it to be friendly, um, and for us to enjoy history. So
0: that would be my takeaway. Fantastic, and I'll add a link to that Facebook page in our show notes to make it nice and easy for everyone to find. Amanda, thank, thank you. you so much for taking the time to coming on the podcast, talking tutors with us. I wish you the best of luck with your three writing projects, and look forward to hearing more from you. <laughs> thank you. you. I'm going to need it. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Talking Tutors. the behind the scenes news you'll also find me on twitter my handle is on the Tudor trail and on instagram as the most happy 78 it's time now for us to re-enter the modern world as always i look forward to talking tutors with you again very soon